Welcome once again this evening to our Bible study, a midweek message at Central Baptist Church. And do trust that our time together tonight is going to be meaningful, challenging, and uh, encouraging as we seek to partner together in serving the Lord in the city of Pretoria. Let me pray for us and then we're going to read the scriptures and then tackle what I believe to be quite a challenging message uh, for us uh, from the book of Jonah and ultimately a message from God. And so, Lord, as we come together once again tonight in this uh, Bible study time, as we examine this particular minor prophet of Jonah, we do pray that there would be meaningful application for us. But, Lord, let us remember that you are God, that you, Lord, have your purposes, that you are unfolding your redemptive purposes, Lord, in our own personal lives, but also in the lives of people across the world. And once again, we anticipate that great day when we gather together at your throne, uh, people from every nation, tribe, and language worshiping you uh, as the Lord Almighty. And so may we, even this evening, as your Spirit stirs within our own hearts and, and speaks and challenges us, may we, Lord, more and more be conformed, not only to your likeness, but, Lord, in the expression of alignment with your will in obedience to what it is that you're calling us to do. So thank you for tonight. Thank you that uh, we can gather like this for the technology provided. And once again, depending on your spirit working through your word in Jesus name. Amen. Well, do take up your Bible and this evening we are going to look at Jonah chapter 3. This in the series that we've been doing on a Wednesday night uh, from the book of Jonah. I'm going to start just at the end of chapter 2, that amazing verse, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry ground. Chapter 3 then, when, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. That then is the word of the Lord, and I desire tonight to be able to just look at this word and seeking to understand what it is that God is saying to us, members, friends, adherents at the Central Baptist Church. 
Do you want to move on to just have a, a an outline, a PowerPoint, whereby we can then uh, have some sort of structure to the message and to this passage here tonight? I want to uh, get us thinking this evening about different cities in the world. And I'm sure immediately the cities that come to your mind. And I want to add to that the thought that different cities have different reputations. If you've traveled, you will know uh, that to be true. Uh, some have better reputations than others. If you think of our South African context, uh, many, many people want to live in the city of Cape Town. The price of houses is so much higher than anywhere else in the country simply because of the demand. Uh, The city has the reputation not only as being a beautiful city, but it also has the reputation of working. And the municipal services are provided, and generally speaking, it functions better than most other cities in our country. There are other cities in the world that we, I know I would want to avoid Remember some years ago, many years ago, Carol and I visited New Orleans and uh, walked around in the center of that city and we were horrified just at what we saw and what makes that city uh, tick and and the decadence that was prevalent and present, and present open and, and explicit. It was really uh, quite disgusting, a city that I would not uh, really want to live in. Well, many people also believe, coming back to South Africa, that Johannesburg is best avoided. Uh, When suburbs like Hillbrow uh, are mentioned, or perhaps even the southern suburbs of of, of the city, a place where I grew up, they're known today to be dangerous places. Uh, Best avoided. Uh, Too much criminal activity, placing your life at risk, even driving through places uh, like Hilbra, particularly if you did so um, at night. Well, what do you think of the city of Pretoria? We live in Pretoria, uh, certainly those of us who are members at Central, and I think I'm right in saying that most of us seldom venture into the city center. We prefer to stay in the safe and secure suburbs out of the city center. We don't like what we see. We don't like what we hear. We've all had family members who've been mugged. I know my own children have had experiences of cell phones being removed from them at knife point. Uh, And so the thinking is the reputation of Pretoria city center best avoided. And not just avoided, I wonder... In even thinking about the city tonight, how many people do you know that live in the city? Have you ever visited somebody who lives in the city? And so coming to the message and those thoughts just to introduce the context and perhaps the challenge that we'll be considering, the message of this chapter can be summed up with a challenge, uh, challenging question. This is the question. What about these Those undesirable places and locations where gospel ministry is needed. Nineveh? Jonah didn't want to go there. And so we do need to ask the awkward question. 
does God, we New Testament Christians, those of us who live in a season where Jesus, before he left, gave us the great commission to make disciples of the nations, what are we to do in the day that we live? Does God intend to fulfill the great commission in unattractive and undesirable places? Does God have redemptive purposes for the unattractive city of Pretoria? And so I want to begin by asking a question, and it is a challenging question. Have you turned your back on the city? And perhaps we need to ask that question as a church. Have we turned our back on the city of Pretoria? It is an established fact. And honesty needs to prevail in this particular instance. It is an established fact that it is more popular to do gospel ministry in comfortable places. We prefer to be involved where it is safe. We prefer to be involved where we are familiar and are not faced with unnecessary difficulties and challenges. Just a couple of facts uh, that you can observe. You can see this yes, even if you look back over the course of, of uh, your life at Central Baptist. Uh, it is more uh, prevalent to find missionaries, more missionaries, in the comfortable West than the hostile 1040 window. Missionaries, are they love to come to South Africa. Because in South Africa, there are malls, just like there are in America. And there are rural areas where photos can be sent back to the supporters back in their hometown. But in reality, the ministry, the ministry is often done, more often than not, done in comfortable, safe, convenient places. And I don't want to point fingers at missionaries and not examine my own heart. Isn't it true there's a tendency for the church generally and specifically we need to ask ourselves as the Central Baptist Church there is a tendency for the church to run from the overpopulated, gang-infested, crime-riddled inner cities of the world. We don't like to do ministry in the context of city sprawl. Is it acceptable for us, is it acceptable to God to ignore that his people, that we ignore or neglect gospel ministry in the undesirable places in the world that we live in? Jonah received a call from God to go to the city of Nineveh. As far as Jonah was concerned, this was an undesired destination. The people of Nineveh and Nineveh were enemies of Israel. They were not on friendly terms. And, and the passage tells us that they were patently depraved and wicked. This was a godless city. But note, God is aware of that. God is not blind to the realities of what is taking place in that city. And, and yet, God had a redemptive interest in them. If you have a look at the uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, in the time, the first 
call that he issues to Jonah. He, he says there, he saw the wickedness of Nineveh. And the second verse, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God was not blind to the reality of the depravity and the decadence and, and really the gutter uh, type living that the people had sunk to in that particular Context. We need to know that these were bloodthirsty people. They did not have any concern in terms of the rule of law. The, 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 the leaders were probably power hungry and corrupt. They were self-indulgent and arrogant, unconcerned about those less fortunate than themselves, paying lip service to justice and, and lip service to the concerns of the unemployed and the poor and the hungry. And, and the activity of the city across the board was, uh, was, was, was perverted. Perversion, we think, we think that perversion is something that is, is, is just uh, uh, a development of society in 2022 because the academics and, and first world uh, elites have discovered that there ought to be greater freedom and, and, and we need to move away from what has been uh, a family life or heterosexual relationships and, and, and new discoveries have been made and we think it's, it's a perversion of our own day only. Not so. That has been the repeated pattern down through the years. And, and so if we look back to Nineveh, Nineveh was that kind of town, a kind of a San Francisco of our day, a Hillbrow, Johannesburg of our day, the, the kind of place, that, uh, an activity that we would expect in the center of New York. Whoremongers, idolaters, adulterers, greedy, thieving, kind of people. But Jonah, like us at times, would rather turn his back on the wicked people. He'd rather turn his back on the nation, as we would be tempted to turn our back on the nations, and just see them destroyed. He didn't want to see them benefiting from the grace of God. Again, honesty. Honesty is required. If we dig deep into our hearts, isn't it true that we would rather see the gangsters, the guptas, and the criminals of this world rot in hell than step into the world and give them the gospel that gives life? And so the very difficult soul-searching question to you and, and to me, to us as a church, have you, have we turned our backs, not just on the city, but on individual people. Maybe, maybe some of those people even alongside of us in the congregation. Simply because we have prejudice and we prefer to pander to our own self-indulgent likes and preferences. You see, the question has got to be, when we look at a passage like this today, are we, are you, am I neglecting or ignoring the commission that Jesus gave to make disciples of the nations and refusing to do it simply because it takes us out of our comfort zone? Well, as I look at this passage, there is no doubt that God is not pleased with Jonah because of his disobedience. God is grieved that his servant has no regard for his command. Let's not even 
uh, get to the city yet. The point is that Jonah has no regard for the command of God to go to this undesirable place and tell them what God had ordered him to do. Well, as we saw earlier in the book, a short little book that God disciplined Jonah. He sent a life-threatening storm. Uh, he ends up being hurled into the sea and, and this as a result of the hand of God. And then wonderfully, wonderful, we, wonderfully we saw last week in chapter 2, Jonah in his distress uh, cries out to God. And God wonderfully answers his prayer, chapter 2, verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground, onto the beach. And now I wonder, I wonder what Jonah's thinking as he lies there recovering on the sandy beaches of that particular area. Whether he was now thinking, well, now rescued from the horror of the fish and the horror of the sea, he thought, well, now I can just get on with my life, carry on and, and, and not bother with any further calls from God. Relieved that the ordeal was now over, he may have believed that Nineveh, that the Nineveh project was now history, that it was part of the past. And so I want to then go on to a second question. Does God turn his back on the city? You see, we could so easily and also very wrongly conclude that since people, now I'm thinking here of servants of God like Jonah, uh, servants of God like ourselves, children of God, members of the body of Christ, members at Central, that when we have been disobedient, when we've been unreliable to date, that God then gives up on his plan for the city, on his plan for gospel ministry to the ends of the earth. We need to understand that disobedience can come as a result of many, many different reasons. People fall out of ministry endeavors. Uh, the fallout rate is extraordinarily high, uh, sometimes for legitimate reasons like burnout or or just uh, simply worn out, weary. Um, on the other uh, end of the spectrum, people fall out of ministry because of misconduct, uh, sinful behavior. But like with Jonah, it can often be because of disobedience. And disobedience, more often than not, is as a result of downright self-centeredness. And so we may well ask, well, what on earth is God going to do? Uh, well, God doesn't give up. God does not give up on what he's planned and he's decided. His purposes endure. And so, and so instead of leaving Jonah, enjoying the sunshine on the beach, he calls him a second time. That's where we pick it up in chapter 3 and verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. God hadn't changed his mind about these sinful, depraved, decadent Ninevites. His purpose for them was the same. They were to hear his word. 
God remained in the driving seat of his purposes. And so we need to recognize, even today we need to recognize, we need to admit to the fact that there is absolutely nothing, there is nothing that will frustrate the purposes of God. God does not work in fits and starts, moving in one direction and only to change to another direction because of feeble and often disobedient people. Just listen to the prophet Isaiah. I love this passage. It just gives me such a, a, a reminder, a fascination of the greatness and the power uh, and, and, and the love of God, actually. Isaiah 46 verse 8. Remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man fulfill my purpose. What I've said that I will bring about, what I've planned that I will do. Oh man, am I glad that I serve this God. That it's not up to me, it's not up to us. <laughs> Ultimately, God will fulfill His purposes. God has a saving purpose. In this instance, we see for Nineveh. And although Jonah messed up because of disobedience, made no difference. God's purpose didn't change. God's purpose was the same, and He would see it through. And, and let us not forget in application, as we look to the broader context of the Bible, that God has a saving purpose, as I prayed at the beginning of the study, for every nation, every tribe, and every language of people on the earth. Revelation 7 verse 9. And you can, I'm not a betting man, but you can bet your bottom dollar, He will do it. In spite of disobedient Jonah's, maybe some among us, in spite of lazy, comfort-loving Christians, maybe some among us. They can be pastors, they can be missionaries, they can be members of local churches. Let me tell you, this passage assures us God will raise up willing and unwilling instruments to do all that He has planned. God doesn't turn His back on the city. And so the challenge tonight, as you search your own heart, as far as you're concerned, perhaps you have been tardy in what God has called you to do. What has God called you to do? It can't be. It can't be just to sit in a chair on a Sunday and listen to a sermon. And sadly, many people not even sitting in a chair in a church, but sitting at home on a couch watching a YouTube video. Is that what God has called you? No. It's bigger than that. It's broader than that. It's richer than that. It's more meaningful than that. Is it possible that, that you or I are disobedient like Jonah? Or distracted like Samson? Or fearful like Peter? Which leads me to my third question from this passage. Is the second chance usefulness in ministry? You see, having blown it before, 
or blown it up to now, does it mean that you are forever disabled and disqualified and unable to pick up the pieces and get on and do meaningful and fruitful and effective ministry? Well, let's be honest. We people make mistakes. Or putting it a little bit more blunt, bluntly, we are prone to wonder as, as, as people, even believers who suffer with the remaining marks of sin, and, and, and we, we sin. And, and so often we do slip into disobedience. Sometimes we are deliberately disobedient to the commands and the call of God. And so what do we do? What do we do? Having sinned, do we now just crawl up as it were into a corner and, and live out the rest of our uh, lives, our Christian lives as, as spectators? Making excuses, pointing fingers at other people, thereby diverting attention away from ourselves? There's a better way. There's a much better way. Like Jonah, rediscover the fact as he states in chapter 2 and verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah then is wonderfully restored. Once again, he hears the call of God to serve. This time, this time, Jonah responds to the second call and he goes to Nineveh. He's obedient. Chapter 3, verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. See, Jonah is given renewed opportunity for service. Second chance. He takes the opportunity. And therefore, you and I ought to be challenged and encouraged to know that we can get up. That we do know that there is a second chance usefulness, even in undesirable city ministry. And so Jonah goes to this large undesirable city, the city of Nineveh. He gets on with what God told him to do. We read, read in verse 4, on the first day Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now here is another challenge for us pastors. Oh pastors we need to look at this, listen to this. How on earth we would be tempted to think, is he going to win these people to God's way by bringing such a negative message of doom and gloom? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. He's literally telling them that their city is going to be destroyed because of the way they're living. They're going to be subjected to the wrath of God. They're going to be subjected to the anger of God. I can only imagine that this message, this is the message that God told him to bring. It's part of the commission. Remember in chapter 3 and verse 1, proclaim to it the message I give you. You're just a deliverer of a message, Jonah. You don't have to create the message. You don't have to modify the message. You don't have to soft soap the message. Deliver the message that I give you. And so I find it interesting that, that even Jesus, when, when he commissions his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, go make disciples of the nations, verse 20, to do what? Teaching them to obey everything 
I have commanded you. Not what clever people write in books or what church growth experts advise church leaders and pastors. No, teach them what I have commanded you. So again, back to the question. Is their second chance usefulness in ministry, even in undesirable places? The answer must be yes, yes. But now we must add, useful ministry conveys God's word plainly and accurately. And I want to say that again. Useful ministry. Maybe we could use the word fruitful ministry. God-pleasing ministry conveys God's word plainly and accurately. Sometimes that message is going to be encouraging and comforting. And sometimes that message is going to be hard and challenging. And I think tonight's message is one of those hard and challenging messages. And the point is that we can see from Jonah in his second uh, uh, chance usefulness experience, he was not seeker sensitive. He was not afraid to speak the word of God plainly. In other words, and I'd love for us to be this, he was not so much seeker-sensitive as God-sensitive. I'm convinced the church in general and its leaders and pastors need to be confronted with that truth across the board. Across the board. There are celebrity, celebrity pastors, I could almost say queuing up to back off and repent of messages they previously had preached that homosexuality is a sin. It's not popular anymore. So now they want to deny that they uh, believe that homosexuality is a sin. There are those who deny the reality of sin completely, packing their churches full of people. There are those who refuse to call people to repentance, to turn from their sinful ways and place their faith in Jesus Christ. There are those who dilute the message of the gospel, making it, in their view, more palatable or more acceptable. There are those, now, here's the point. Here's the problem. There are those more interested in filling seats on earth in their buildings than ensuring people that have a place in heaven. Maybe I could put it a little bit differently. They're more concerned about having their egos stroked than pleasing God. Well, I love this passage because amazingly, unpredictably, and miraculously, even in the light of this very direct and harsh message, the wicked Ninevites respond. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. Salvation is of the Lord. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And if these unlikely, ungodly people, including the king and nobles, verse 6, if they responded, surely, surely should we not have confidence in God and his word to do the same in our day. Even, even when it seems like the people we are targeting are unlikely to respond. That's God's work. That's God's business. That's the work of the Spirit, convicting and converting. 
You see, change of anyone's heart, change of the hearts of the Ninevites, was the result of God's work. Jonah says so in chapter 4, I knew, speaking to God, that you are gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. These people believed God and not man, that their wickedness had provoked the wrath of God. That was the message. They believed God, and if they remained as they, as they were, they would be overturned. They would be destroyed. So they repented. They repented. They turned from their sin. And, and uh, wonderfully, we, we are given evidence, we are given the affirmation that, that the genuineness of the repentance was in fact sincere. Jesus refers back to them. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, one greater than Jonah is here. Are you prepared to listen to the one greater than Jonah? And so, yes, it is true. We must distinguish between true and false repentance. It is possible that people just uh, feel sorry because they've sinned. Uh, perhaps because they've been found out, but not because of the sin itself. True repentance involves a deep sense of contrition that God has been grieved and and, and there is this need to turn and, and a willingness to turn from that sin, placing one's trust and faith in Jesus for forgiveness on the basis of his finished work on the cross. Well, let me conclude. A challenging message, no doubt. I, I have been challenged coming back to this passage and, and challenged with, with regard to my own life, with regard to our church at Central. The question must be asked. Have you, have I, have we turned our backs on undesirable and uncomfortable ministry? In the city, yes, or even elsewhere. God, dear friends, has not. God has not. He's going to do it. It's like that time in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul is discouraged and God says to him, do not be afraid. I have many people in the city. God has many people in the city of Pretoria. And so this evening, if you have been, if you're one who has been disobedient or distracted or just plain lazy, that's a possibility, I would urge you into action. Gospel ministry, there are second chance opportunities. There is a second chance usefulness in ministry to the glory of God. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us, keep me from mere talk concerns about the world and the lostness of people in cities, in countries, amongst nations and peoples. Help us, Lord, to be a people who are convinced about the gospel message and its power. Your, Lord, message that you have given us to deliver. Your spirit at work through us and in the lives of those who hear. And we understand, Lord, that we ought to be, we, we must be, the aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And there will be those, Lord, to whom we are the stench of death. 
But we know also that there will be those to whom we are the aroma of life, to the glory of your name. Bless us as a church. Lead us as a church, we pray, as we ask this uh, in Jesus' name and for his glory alone. Amen. I do have some questions once again. And uh, I think there's some good discussion here uh, for us, very practical discussion. And I do urge you to uh, look at these questions, even in your own uh, personal capacity, or possibly even amongst uh, your group, if you are meeting with a group, as some do in the church um, as well. So do, uh, you know, do, do so, and, and, and not just talk. May it lead to some kind of uh, action, change of behavior, in being more aligned with the will and the purposes um, of God. And so God bless you, be with you, have a wonderful evening and the rest of the week and looking forward to being together uh, Friday night as we pray through the night. Do come and join us, 10 o'clock up at the hill, 3 to 6 in the morning and then of course Sunday morning and evening either at the hill or Arcadia.